For Pembrokeshire. Tesco have issued an apology after it had mistakenly prevented customers from buying sanitary products as part of new lockdown measures here in Wales. On Sunday, Mark Drakeford said supermarkets have discretion over the ban on selling non-essential items during the nation's firebreaker lockdown. But yesterday, customers seeking period products in Cardiff said they found the pharmaceutical area of their local Tesco blocked off. Nicola Smith tweeted saying, I'm literally raging and in tears. How is beer essential and period products non-essential? This is ridiculous. Tesco said on Twitter that Welsh Government guidelines had meant they could not sell sanitary products. When another customer sent a tweet to the company about the issue, it responded, We understand how frustrating these changes will be for our Welsh customers. However, we have been told by the Welsh Government not to sell these items for the duration of the firebreak lockdown. However, the Welsh Government have since corrected Tesco, tweeting that this is wrong, period products are essential, supermarkets can still sell items that can be sold in pharmacies. Only selling essential items during Firebreaker is to discourage spending more time than necessary in shops. It should not stop you accessing items that you need. Tesco has now apologised, adding that the issue was localised to one store and is being urgently rectified. A Tesco spokesperson said, Of course sanitary products are essential items and are available to customers in all of our stores, including those in Wales. If planning permission is granted, a disused council building will be demolished to make way for a reablement centre for those leaving hospital. An application to demolish Haverfordia House on Winch Lane in Haverford West has been submitted to Pembrokeshire County Council. It forms part of the authority's plan for a reablement centre and older person's accommodation on the site, which will incorporate some of Rifleman's Field car park, which it backs onto, subject to legal changes to the current parking order. The three-storey office block had been leased by the council, which bought the freehold for £200,000 using its housing revenue account to facilitate the development following a cabinet decision in September 2019. Welsh government funding is being sought for the development via the Integrated Care Fund, with the aim of building 12 reablement beds to prevent hospital admittance or improve discharge along with 20 units of older persons' accommodation. Despite the Welsh firebreaker lockdown, Temby's mayor has vowed to lay a wreath at the town's war memorial on Remembrance Sunday. Councillor Sam Skirm Blackhall told Temby Town Council that if my grandfather could land on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, then I am sure that I can lay a wreath on behalf of the town, and I will. The service will still take place this year at 11am on November 8th, but there will be no parade due to COVID-19 restrictions. Organisations who have ordered wreaths in the past can still collect them from the devalance between 10.30am and 2pm on weekdays from today. You can call on 01834 842 730 to make an appointment to arrange collection. I'm Charlie James and you're up to date on Pure. Download the Pure West Radio mobile app from the App Store. 
or Google Play. For Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, this is Pure West Radio.
Well, there we are. That was an unusual renditioning of The Exorcist theme. Yeah. Brings us to a continuing our second hour of the Halloween theme on the West Files here on Pure West Radio. Yes. Doing my uh, my late night voice. And I'm doing mine. Yeah, uh, you weather. <laughs> yeah, you weather for tomorrow. Um, <laughs> wet, wet apparently. Uh, well, let's have a look. Uh, wet in the morning, first thing, and then showery, sunshine and showers for the rest of the day, and um, temperature about ten. Yeah, that's ten something. Ten little circles. I think ten. that means something. But yeah, I don't know. Ten and a little circle. There we are. <coughs> so uh, first hour we had uh, Dr. Callum E. Cooper, Dr. Dr. Callum Dr. E. Cooper, Doctor. Yeah, from the University of Northampton, and he is a real life parapsychologist. As are somebody else I know. Who's that then? You. Yeah. <clears throat> I know some parapsychologists. So tell me it's, more. It's rubbed off down the years. Yes, tell me more. Well, I I can actually, uh, I am referred to um, as a parapsychologist and I can call myself a parapsychologist legitimately because I meet the requirements. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, I, you're crazy, I've you're mad. I've studied stuff and... and I've published stuff and... Uh, but that's, I, I, as I said to Cal, uh, when, when Cal was on... Uh, the main reason I ever got into this was as a small child I wanted to see a damn ghost for myself because I'd read you know I'd read spooky stories and I'd read works by Harry Price and um, Andrew Green Peter Underwood and all these uh, people who used to you know recount their experiences staying at the spooky manor houses and haunted halls and ancient castles where the white lady would stride silently gliding through the corridors Mm -hmm. and I thought I wanted to see a ghost for myself it's got to be I just go there and like just wait and see one and then I quite very quickly discovered that that wasn't going to happen (laughs) (laughs) and gradually it dawned on me that a more scientific approach um, was was probably necessary uh, which has evolved into realistically a a study of human experiences because it it became apparent that that a ghost experience was essentially a very human experience and that you know whichever culture if you look at japan or or the middle east or you look at uh, the roman period or you look at you know native americans they, everybody was reporting very similar phenomena um, so for me, it was it, it moved towards a study of the human experience, but the human experience outside of the laboratory, inside the locations where people have these experiences, their houses, their workplaces, um, and so that's what I do. So you took? Did you do the ology side of it, degrees, etc., and? Well, uh, originally, actually. Um, my 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 qualifications my first qualifications are in engineering science so it came from the petrochemical industry measuring things measuring fi- uh, because i was an instrument technician and we we had to learn to measure the pro the the process um to a very fine degree um you know you would you would need to know how fast something was flowing and what the temperature of it was and how much you'd put into a tank and otherwise you could cause explosions and yeah which wasn't a good thing or or you could just make a mess and cost a lot of money um so 
later on I went into nursing, which is which is you know entirely uh, person orientated, person centric. Yeah, definitely but human where, experience side. But where you have to work to a very high standard in, yes. in both, because in nursing, of course, you know you make a mistake, somebody's going to die. Yeah. You give them the wrong medication or the wrong dose of medication, yeah. or you know so. I, I think they they gave me an, a better grounding than just going to university and learning about the psychology. It was actually um, a real world understanding yeah. of, of why we measure things, why we approach things with a scientific um, to try and gain a scientific understanding, if yeah. you like. And why we it's important to measure things accurately and reliably. You can't just wander around a spooky haunted house with a, a with a, a black box with flashing lights on it, or say, "Oh, look over there in the corner, I can see a shadow," because that's not meaningful. It no. tells you nothing about the situation. It tells you nothing about the experience. What you're really doing is scaring the bejesus out of yourself and <laughs> you know anybody yeah. else that's there too, or watching on on on, on your social media feed, which is you know hugely exciting but doesn't gain anybody but, anything but utterly meaningless <coughs> excuse me so so with that in mind uh, the approach that uh, I've always adopted is if if somebody says the room went colder then that's a quantifiable experience I should be able to measure the temperature I can measure the temperature in that room yeah and I can say yes the temperature did in fact change or no the temperature didn't it cha didn't change so i'm looking then at a psychophysiological effect that they perceive the temperature's gone down and there are many reasons why we would feel a temperature change when when there is none within the environment give me one fear ah excitement yeah um adrenaline adrenaline um is another and also be conditioning because for um We've we've seen many many of the Hollywood movies where just before the ghost appears, you can see the breath condens condensing yeah, in front yeah. of them, and oh my god, the room's gone icy cold, and so we believe that that's what's going to happen. Ah, when in fact, if you're measuring the temperature, um, there is no temperature change, but sometimes, in other respect, in other respects, there could be a um, whilst not a real temperature change a perceived temperature change and I'll give you one one quick example it's probably happened to you um you're you get into an extremely hot bath mm -hmm. and as you immerse yourself in the very hot water you get goosebumps and you shiver yeah and people go, why, why why does that happen and the simple explanation is of course that the the cold skin receptors the nerves that can that that, that uh, respond to cold are slightly higher in the skin, in the skin, uh, in your skin, yeah. nearer the surface, than those that respond to heat. So, so hence, yeah. as they get stimulated, they send a, a cold response to the brain a fraction of a second before the hot response arrives. Yeah. The body's autom autonomic nervous system responds by shivering. Ah, so you so, get this... Yeah. Which is what happens when I get in the shower, yeah. That's and that's a perfectly normal thing. Yeah. But it's it's an unusual response for people to experience. 
Mm. Now, if you take that perfectly normal response into a haunted location and you tell somebody that the that the location is haunted, it's infested with spooks and demons and all <laughs> back manner to the of demons, yeah, back yeah. to the demons and all manner of other things. They're not going to think of the logical, likely, plausible explanation. They're just going to believe what you've told them. And you see exactly the same with photographs. When you when you look at uh, people's holiday snaps, or people go on holiday and they take they they go to Pembroke Castle. There are hundreds and hundreds of tourists normally in Pembroke yeah. Castle, uh, and thousands of photographs are taken at the castle every single day. Mm. And yet, the number of ghost photographs that are sent in by visitors and tourists is incredibly low. Now, if you take a group of individuals um, to Pembroke Castle. And you tell them, right, we're going to look for ghosts. And you make the whole thing about ghosts and you take them on a ghost tour and you mention the ghosts at every opportunity. And you tell them the spooky stories and they take some pictures. The number of people who then send photographs in saying, I think I've caught something unusual. I think I've caught a, an apparition. I don't understand the shape, shadow or blob on the picture. Mm. Because people look at their pictures very differently. When we look at our holiday photographs or our day out photographs in Pembroke Castle, we're looking at the scenery, we're looking at the background, we're looking at anti-Florence and yeah. the people in it. When, when you take people ghost hunting and they get their pictures and they download them to the computer, they look at them very differently. They start to scrutinise almost every pixel of the picture. They zoom in to anything that's unusual now almost every photograph has unusual elements within it because the the software generates the image from the sensor yeah and it doesn't do it perfectly all of the time and it's only really a sample of of what the human eye sees anyway so in a way it could be like you've got you've taken your day day picture at pembroke castle you've got exactly the same picture copied but you've given them to somebody and said, that's a day trip picture. One of them's got a ghost in it. Which one is it? It's, it, it's exactly that. It's, yeah. it's how people look at the picture that they take um, and what they then subsequently find in it. And we've, I mean, experiments have been done. We've done experiments that demonstrate this to be a fact. Mm. that people's perceptions change if they think that... And it's one of the, the, the huge problems as a, as a ghost hunter, as a psychical investigator has, because immediately that a person considers that something that is happening to them is paranormal, they become more aware of everything else. So if you go out to work and you come back in and the refrigerator door is ajar yeah. and the lights on and everything started to defrost and the milk's gone off you you know most ordinary people will give themselves a you know a kick up the backside because they the forgot to shut the door properly exactly yeah. however if if they believe that the house is haunted they will distinctly remember shutting the door closing the fridge door and it will be a very firm memory that they have. I know I shut the fridge, but fridge door. So is it? It's is a lot of it to do with the way the brain sees things. Then it's a lot of it's more to do with the way that people perceive things. So if 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 somebody believes that their house is haunted, and you can do ghost hunters can do an incredible amount of damage when they turn up at somebody's house, uh, because. They will, they will reinforce the, this belief that the person may have uh. or introduce new beliefs. For example, they, may, they might start 
talking about phenomena that may never have entered into the head of the particular person so if you went oh yeah i think it might be a poltergeist because it reminds me of a poltergeist we did a few years ago mm. then they google poltergeist and they discover that poltergeists can set fire to things and flood things with water and they're really quite you know some of them can be really quite destructive um then they they start to begin to become more concerned they they start to worry they start to notice things more that they wouldn't perhaps have we, noticed as a, as a routine thing we we always ask whenever we commence uh, a case that we ask the person to keep a diary yeah. of things that happen we never tell them what to put in the diary because if you say to them uh, you know uh, write down anything that's unusual they will become hyper focused on things uh, that they right, think are yeah. unusual um but even keeping a diary we know will affect their perception of the case because they know that they've got to keep a diary for the ghost hunter yeah so th it does it it does alter you know, dramatically people's perception of a case but i think it's time for some music yeah and, uh, in keeping with um with the theme of the show with the theme of the show with it being close to halloween and when the veil is thinnest and the the spooks come out to and play. The dead walk the earth. Yeah, this one's uh, "There's a Ghost in My House" by Dean Taylor. <laughs> in my house by R. Dean Taylor. 
Which is what we were talking about. It was, wasn't it? Mm, that how, was very clever. How again. spookily... How spookily yeah. eerie was that? You were, asking, you were also baffled by some of the words that um, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Callum E. Cooper... Oh, good using. grief, yes. It? Phenomenologist? A psychical phenomenologist. Yeah, that word. Dead easy. Go on, then. Well, an ologist or an ologist is somebody who studies something. Ah, and it's whatever's put in the front of it. Yeah. Is what they study. So, like, ghostology... The study of ghosts. Yes. Phenomena. Phenomen- someone who studies a phenomena yeah. would be a phenomenologist. Yes. If that phenomena is psychical, it would be a psychical phenomenologist. Yeah, okay. I'll let you keep it. I've lost... I'm, there's no way I'm going to say all them. Um, but, yeah, talking about things like that study, um, I understand you're supposed to be still studying for a PhD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you sound like Callum now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he um, did mention. Well, a number of years, many, 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 many years ago, we, myself and my colleague, Dr. Anne Winsper, who is a psychical phenomenologist, by the way. A cyclical phenomenologist. No, not cyclical. Psych, psych. Psychical. Psychical phenomenologist. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Posh word for a ghost hunter. Yeah. I get a um, jelly baby for that. Yeah. Um, anyway, PhD. You. We went to a conference in Liverpool, yeah. um, attended by lots and lots and lots of am- academics from various universities around the country, and uh, we 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 they started like they did their presentations and then uh, questions uh, through the you know question question time. Yeah, and every time we asked something or tried to make a point, we were sort of sneeringly looked down upon with the sort of the 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 oh you're the ghost hunters, aren't you? Oh. And we thought, right, you bastards. We're going to have this. We're going to do our own thing. We'll just get our own qualifications. No, we'll get your qualifications and then you'll you'll sit up and take notice of Mm. us. So um, that was the intention. Uh. It didn't quite work out. We did for Anne because Anne worked very hard and did her degree in um, psychology and then proceeded on to her PhD, uh, which looks at electronic voice phenomena. Uh, meanwhile, I already had my degree, so I went straight to doing a PhD mm-hmm. and was looking at the effects of very low frequencies of sound um, on people. Right. But I, I'm very easily distracted and found other topics that I, I went off and explored and wrote papers on and studied. Is that and, why you're still supposed to be doing and this? And I ended up producing lots of papers on lots of different things away from the PhD. Um, and we we ended up in the situation where they do take notice of us because I'm on the council of the Society for Psychical Research. Yeah. Uh, they commissioned me to write two series of guidance notes for investigators, um, both a sort of like a general guide, an ethical guide, and yeah. also one that looks at the equipment. Um, and I realised that actually... I kind of achieved what I set out to do at that conference without needing a PhD. And anyway, having a P- not having a PhD gave me a kind of advantage because I was slightly outside of the the domain the, of academia. Yeah, so you're outside the circle, but you were still. But there. I could still, you know, I was influential, but I could still poke a stick at them when I, when I needed to. <laughs> Which is probably quite often known. Really. However, the time has come when I must complete my PhD. Yes. Um, and I can hold out no longer. 
So you are. So next year I shall be settling down because I've done two thirds of the damn thing anyway. <laughs> it's just the last bit. It's just yeah. You know, I, I kind of you know like the guy from Queen, Roger Taylor, mm. um, who did his you know started his astrophysics PhD, then yeah. went off and became a rock star. Yeah. And then came back and did his uh, astrophysics PhD and is now Dr. Roger Taylor. Uh, not Roger Taylor. What's his name? The guitarist. Brian May. Brian May. I apologise, Brian. I've even, do you know, I've sat next... Many years ago, I went on a, a flight uh, to see the Northern Lights from Liverpool Airport. And, did you, uh, I didn't know you could see the lights from... No, no, no the flight was from Liverpool oh, right. Airport. We okay. then flew right the way up over <laughs> Norway and Iceland. Um, and I was sat with, because it was like three abreast seating. Yeah. And I was sat with uh, Dr. Brian May Ooh. and Patrick Moore. Well, there's a couple of decent... For the entire flight. And I bet you spoke to them both. They were very, very nice gentlemen, yes. the pair of them. In fact, uh, Patrick Moore even bought me a drink. Wow. So there we are. So, you do mix with some wonderful I do, people. actually. Well, you we, do, don't wait, you? Wait till we come to, um, because we we have our own our next show coming up in, which isn't the West Files. We're here next week, aren't we? The 8th? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. back no, to back. Second Thursday, we're back to back. Yes. And it's your choice of album artist. Oh, yes. And in my work with the paranormal, um, I've I've rubbed shoulders with many celebrities. Including? Including the artist that you have chosen yes. for your album, which we'll keep secret for the time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I've worked on, I worked on that awful, awful program called I'm Famous and Frightened, which was like a forerunner of um, that jungle thing they're doing up in North Wales. I'm a celebrity. Oh, where you've got a group of celebrities locked them in a haunted castle and then they had to compete. I never saw it, so... No, no, you were probably blessed not to see it. <laughs> so uh, there we are. But yes, you... you <clears throat> excuse me. You do. You have rubbed shoulders with quite a few. Oh, quite, quite a, a few, few. yes. yes. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the joys of working in the media. Yes, and is it partly to do with what you do then, you know, as a ghost hunter... Entirely it, to do with what I do as a ghost. Entirely. Entirely. Nothing to do with the fact that you are into music as well. No. Okay. No, not at all. So uh, there you go. So your, all your questions, I hope, have been, uh, or some of them, they've been answered, but then they end up giving you more thoughts. Well, we're going to have to. Well, why you compose your thoughts? Oh, I'm not going to do that this time of night. No. Well, you, you have, you have, you know, go away, compose your thoughts, and we can get Cal on, and we get maybe uh, Aunt, Dr. Anne Winsper on as well. Oh. And you can ask her what a psychical phenomenologist is, once you've learned to say it. Yeah. Or a normalistic psychologist. Actually, I think I'll just stick to, why did she go for EVP? There we go. Yeah. There we are. We could do that. We can do that. Um, so, yeah. Only remains, really, to say Happy Halloween. Yes. But you can't buy any Halloween costumes. No, but you can make them go back old school. That's it. Just cover yes. your kids in the bed sheet. Yeah. What could be better? Yes. So, um, there we are. Yes. I'm going to dedicate this next track to you. Again. And then I think we'll have some music with a Halloween theme for the remainder of the show. Well, that sounds like a plan to me. I know. It's a good plan. It's a very good plan. <laughs> Daddy 
shark, do 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 do. Grandpa shark, do 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 do. Grandpa shark. Let's go hunting.
Daylight almost gone It seems there's something that you know Well, I ought to leave But the rain, it never stops And I've no particular place to go
想。